You're listening to The Love Yegg Show. If our city could talk, these are the stories it would tell about the people, places, and passion in Edmonton. We interview difference makers in our community. Please welcome your hosts, Sherry Beauchamp and Jesse McCracken. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Love the Egg Show. I'm Sherry Beauchamp, and I'm here with Jesse McCracken. Hi, everybody. And today we have with us Tim Adams from uh, Free Free Footing, Free Play, Free yeah. Free. We're in the Free process Love. of slowly changing the name. Yeah. How are you, Tim? I'm good. I'm awesome. good. Awesome. Busy like everybody, but good. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. So we love free footy. We've had a couple of interactions with you guys. You guys joined us on the um, the riverboat, mm-hmm. came out. That was awesome. You actually presented my son with a soccer ball Yeah, that is one of his favorite things in this world. So <laughs> you've definitely had uh, an impact on him. So he, he loves that thing. Um, yeah. So for anybody who doesn't know about free footy or free play, can you kind mm-hmm. of tell them what that's yeah. about? So free footy started like ooh, 13 years ago now. It started with just me coaching at a, a high need school that needed a little bit of extra support from mentors and leaders and um, people that just generally cared. And the only thing I kind of really knew how to do at the time was coach and play soccer and um, kind of give back some of the gifts I got from great mentors in my life. And so we started a little team that was for junior high age kids there. And um, they did really well and went on to do really well. And then one of the big things that came up was that um, in junior high, when you come from a family that has lots of different challenges going on, maybe mom is on her own and she's working two jobs to keep it together. Um, if you're the eldest, which in junior high often you are, you also end up being responsible for your little brothers and sisters. So when we'd go to a game for junior high, we'd go with, you know, our 20 kids on the team plus another 20 or 40 kids that would show up too that hmm. were in the care of their elder brother or sister. And that um, was fun, but also kind of crazy showing up to a field with like 60 kids and everybody running all over the place. <laughs> so it was like, well, what can we do about this? So we made a team for the little guys and girls and at elementary in this province, there, there isn't any after school like sport, unlike junior high or high school, there's kind of things you can enter people into, but elementary, there isn't that. So we're like, oh, okay, well, um, where are we going to get them playing after we got them on the team? So we asked a few more schools in the area to participate. And then there was kind of four schools playing and that grew and six and eight and 24. And soon there was 64 schools playing and two teams per school. And it was this massive behemoth of a thing. Uh, (laughs) And then it started turning into, well, you know, like, shouldn't kids like do more than just play soccer? And what about all this time of the year where we're inside? which is in Edmonton is most of the time. Mm-hmm. So then we started looking at having them play indoor soccer and that turned to playing basketball and floor hockey and flag football. And so now um, we, yeah, we do four different sports and work with 64 partner schools. Um, we've also turned into uh, offering a junior leadership program where kids who kind of age out in grade six can come back and they get to play with us as well and learn how to ref. And then when they hit high school, keep playing with us and then they learn how to coach and then it's all kind of a cycle so you play 
up until grade six, then you learn how to ref, then you learn how to coach, and then you come back as sort of the senior coaching staff and leadership team. And yeah, it's kind of grown like crazy. And that's why this name of free footy and free play, we're slowly shifting over to free play since free footy is kind of um, confusing to people because they just associate soccer, but now we do all these other things. So the new umbrella will be free play. And underneath that is free footy, free hockey, free football, free basketball, and who knows? <laughs> who knows what will come under that umbrella in the near future? And that's kind of where we're at. Wow. You know, it's, um, I mean, kids can get into trouble after school if they don't have something to do. And mm -hmm. so it's so great that you offer them a variety of sports now, because maybe somebody's not interested in soccer, but they really like basketball, yeah. you know, so it gives them more reasons to, to stay at school and be involved in, in team sports. And so I think it's just like awesome because oh, if you. you're, if you're, yeah, if you're being coached or mentored or with a team, you just get yourself in less trouble, right? You're yeah, just, totally. you're, you're committed to being a part of a team and with yeah. that comes accountability and that all is very important uh, qualities as we grow. <laughs> yeah. And for us, it's like the sport thing, which is also kind of the confusion of, you know, having it under these different umbrellas. Like the sport thing is literally just the carrot. It's the thing part we dangle it, yeah. there because everybody like loves to, kick a ball or shoot a ball or hit a puck or whatever the case may be. But um, I think we're the only organization that I'm aware of that also ingrains like right in our practice plans, lessons on social, emotional, and mental health. Yeah. And that that's the real key of what we're doing is we have this time to work on those pieces with a great mentor to guide you through some of these things we just don't talk about in life and we don't get to learn about in school. Um, and if you don't have a great mentor or, or um, a guardian in your life around to like also instill some of those messages, like where do you get it? Like where do you get that kind of conversation? And beyond like the leadership and respect and hard work and all that stuff, yeah, that's a sports thing. But I'm talking more about like how do you regulate your emotions? Like when you get really angry, like how do you calm down? And that's literally built into our practice plans and we design games and practices to make kids get frustrated and then teach them how to calm down when they get frustrated. So I, I, I think, I hope we're kind of a little bit cutting edge in that, in that way. And <clears throat> that's the really important part for me is not the kicking the ball or shooting the ball. It's like what skills we can incorporate to make people um, good little humans and good little leaders and also just make them be part of the community and, and feel safe. Um, our main goal is when you come, do you feel safe? Do you feel like you belong somewhere? Do you leave with a huge smile? Everything else is a bonus, but those are the, the three big ones, right? So how has this, uh, I mean, how has it evolved? Obviously there was just a lot of interest, but how many, you have to start adding people to help you with lesson plans and, and, and yeah. those things. So it has evolved a lot in even just the short amount of time that we've, um, I think, mm -hmm. known you. You know, it's, it's really changed into something much bigger than, than what it was. So how um, did all that, it was more of a need or was it kind of always your, your big picture dream when you started? It's always been a big picture dream. There's still a lot of pieces I need to knock out in terms of the big picture dream of where I ultimately would love to see this thing go. But I think a lot of it was like, as I started involving more people in what I was doing, I was realizing like, I need to set everybody else up for success too, you know, and I, my expectations, I think a lot of the time was like too much, frankly, to put on someone's plate. And so 
I think it's part of that leadership moment when you learn that sometimes like a CEO or a founder isn't really the greatest person sometimes to be charging on direction and operations and like implementing everything because it's your baby, right? And you're just going to grind until things are done or, you know, they, they go the way you want. And um, so I've just sort of like had that, I think, well, awakening moment of what capacity building really looks like. And so that's where we're starting to build out the team and making sure that there's systems in place that are a lot more sustainable. So my ultimate goal is that one of the kids go through this trajectory and, and take my job. And mm-hmm. so <clears throat> past, it was so tied to all my different little relationships that I was blessed to have worked hard for, but blessed to create. And uh, that's just not a sustainable way to do business, frankly. Um, mm-hmm. to rely on all these other people doing all these little things for you because they know you somehow. Um, and they still do. And I love everybody that does do that for us, but it has to get to a point where, you know, there's kind of a playbook and this is what you do and this is how it operates. And that's part of my ambition is to have that playbook for each of these positions and the direction that we're going so that it is templatable. You can replicate this thing in, in Calgary, Vancouver, Toronto, Winnipeg, you know, across the country. Um, and that's sort of where we're trying to, to push the organization in the future is lock down Edmonton, make sure we do it right, but lock it down in a way that we can push it out for. And I think for the first time, I actually kind of feel like we can. Before COVID, actually, I, I could not picture it. People would ask me all the time, like, why are you in Toronto or Montreal or whatever? And I was like, cool, but I have no idea how we would do that. It was just so complicated. Um, and now I kind of feel like, nah, maybe, maybe there is a way it's a lot more expensive, frankly, but there might be a way. Yeah. Well, I think if people had the opportunity to see what you're doing here, they would want to bring it to their, to their cities and their schools and their students and their community. Right. So it's just a matter of more people seeing what you've, what you've created here and the impact that it's made on a lot of these kids. I hope so. I do hope so, because I do think the value of play is in, in sport and recreation in general, whether that's being on a stage and performing with a band or being in a dance group or being on a pitch with a ball or a court um, with a ball. We don't talk enough about the value of those things. Um, we just like look at them as these pastimes that people do, but we don't talk about the value that it offers, particularly on mental health and belonging and how important we understand belonging slowly to be it's like it's hard to go through life without a friend mm-hmm. it's really hard and we have to create venues for people to make friends <laughs> like it's it's and then that because that friend is the person who helps you in um, in the bad times and you know lifts you up and cheers with you in the good times and everybody needs someone like that in their life and unfortunately uh, the default is often like family but a lot of people don't have that family support and that doesn't just tie to a socioeconomic bracket that ties to frankly everybody everybody has different dynamics going on and so I think we have to talk a lot more about the lens of sport and play and recreation and dance and music and all these other amazing opportunities of what's what's the intrinsic value in this it's not that we create a great pianist or a great basketball player it's that we build a community where people can belong and make meaningful friendships and meet meaningful mentors who guide them through life even 30 years later. So Mm -hmm. 
hopefully um, that recognition through COVID also is another opportunity where that starts to come out of like, hey, we're all like shut in at homes and it's, it's hard to have those kind of touch points. And what is the value of those touch points? And that we start to quantify it a bit better and recognize it a bit better. It's not just like, you know, people in fancy uniforms kicking a ball around. It's, it's really just you've created a community for someone to belong in. Mm-hmm. So with that said, what is it, um, was there one person in your life that was that person for you, that mentor and the person that kind of made you want to do this? Or was this part of just you coaching and seeing that there was a, a void in wanting to create it yourself? I was pretty lucky if like having some, some good mentors along the way who were coaches who really like saw how much I struggled at school and really encouraged me to use what I could do on a pitch or a court or a rink or whatever um, in school and in the classroom and really sort of promoted the fact of my ability to to lead even when I didn't really recognize it. Um, And then when I moved to Edmonton, I really wanted to be able to give that back. And I just, I wanted to be able to give it back to a place where I wasn't so privileged as I am. And so, yeah, I I guess I just wanted to pay it forward in a lot of regards of having those, those mentors who helped me along the way as a youth and recognizing all the privileges that I had and then taking that and saying, wow, like, what do you do if you don't have those privileges? And how much harder it would be if you didn't have some of those privileges, which I do. I have a very loving family who supported me on many things and everything. But I really struggled as a kid, like really struggled. And belonging, I think, was a huge piece of it, just not really knowing where I fit in. Um, And that compounded into all kinds of different things. And I just thought about like, well, imagine you didn't have that family support or you didn't have access to pay these registration fees and a parent to drive you all these places and like test all these different communities of where you fit in. Like, what do you do? Like it would be impossible. I just can't imagine how hard it would be. And so that's kind of where I I think a lot of this inspiration came from was just recognizing the privileges that I had and how do we extend these further. And 13 years later, here we are with tens of thousands of kids who have gone through this program and and now we're trying to shape it to be much more intentionally focused of not just like, okay, every kid gets a chance to play, but like, how do they play? What do they play? Why do they play it? How do they stay involved for life? How, how is there a, you know, a, a trajectory to get into these leadership roles? Because you also think about that of like how privileged leadership is. So privileged of how people end up in leadership positions. And how do you create a pipeline for people to get into leadership positions within their own communities and beyond? And I think that's what we're really trying to strive for now is create a clear pathway into being a great leader and then extending the skills you've learned as a great leader to your own community, your own family, but maybe in bigger spaces too. And I shouldn't say bigger, but other spaces because doing it with your own family and your own community is big enough. But if there's other spaces to lend your skills to, like how do we do that and how do we make sure that those the diverse skills and diverse perspectives and life stories are getting reflected in these senior leadership roles or else nothing is ever going to change. We need that life experience in these positions. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think one of the coolest things about leveraging sport as the vehicle for all of these skills that you're teaching 
is, you know, goes cross culturally. It goes across, like you're talking about socioeconomics, it goes into different, all of these ways that society might say, oh, we're different. It kind of removes that from, from everything, right? And you all start on a team and here's your role on the team and here's what we do as a team and here's sort of the template. And then the, the fact that you sprinkle in, you know, that um, the, the three things that you speak about that are yeah. actually built into the practice plans and the, and the, the game plans is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I, I hope it works. <laughs> I think it's like, one of those things like nobody knows how to communicate it or where to start or what to do. So if you build it into something where it's like, okay, the team comes together and it's like, okay, here's what we're going to talk about for, you know, like yep. however you guys do it. Right. I think it's, it's so powerful because it gives everybody a, a reference point for it where outside of that, they probably don't have that. Right. No, they they've never talked about uh, how to handle frustration with anybody before, right? Or mm. like how to channel motivation or how to belong simply, right? Yeah, and, and some of it's so like we're trying to really work on it to be for it to be practical too, like not to just be this high level, right? Psychology conversation, but like this is how you use this thing. And, you know, all, a simple example is we were trying to teach kids like how to calm down when they get frustrated. And we we're trying to put that in a sport lens. Well, it's pretty easy in a game, right? You get yeah. frustrated, something happens, we can tell you how to calm down from it. But like, how do you artificially create that feeling to then use it as a teaching point? And the solution that we came to, I thought was pretty smart actually, was that, um, and it wasn't my idea, was like in basketball, when we were teaching basketball at the time, you throw the ball over your head and then you try to catch it on your, on your back. And like, if you just try that at home, it's really hard. But then you take like people with very little arms and very little hands and they try to do it, right? And you get really frustrated and it's really hard to do. And then, so that's when we got to say, okay, boy, so you can recognize that, that you're frustrated. So one of the ways to deal with it is just to take three really deep breaths and then try it again. And so then you emulate that in the game. You get frustrated, take three really deep breaths, try again. And then at the end of the lesson, it was, okay, what did we learn today about getting frustrated and how to deal with it? Okay, that you take some deep breaths, try again. And so that then becomes the homework. Take that home. And when you come back next week, I'm going to ask you, like, how you use that? Like, what did you do at school? If someone frustrated you at school, what did you do? If something frustrated you at home, what did you do? Did you try it? Did it work? So it's that repetition of, you know, here's, here's how you practice it. Here's how you did it in a kind of sports context. Here's how it applies in life. Um, you know, another example of how we always start is like teaching an introduction, like how to say, hi, my name is to someone. When are you ever taught that in life? I wasn't. You just like kind of pick it up based on what other people tell you. But, um, you know, the value of going and saying, hi, my name is, what's your name? And um, how you can use that in this context of like your confidence and like making sure like you present yourself in a way that other people aren't intimidated by you or scared by you or look like you're shy and you know, how do you present yourself? And then the value of that, like, you know, when you maybe want to get a ride somewhere, you have to introduce yourself to your friend's parent 
or you have to introduce yourself to someone new at school, or you're taking the bus and you want to ask someone for directions, like you have to introduce yourself to someone. So it's just those like little simple life skills of, that we just all forget. Those are the pieces we're trying to really integrate in and build into the programming. I mean, as an adult, sometimes you need that. You know, I go to oh, yeah. networking things sometimes and I'm like, it, people assume that you're super outgoing, but you get into a group of strangers and you're like, you want to just hide in the bathroom. <laughs> I know. I, I say quite regularly, like how much I've personally learned from like working through this. And we have someone with a master's of education who's helping us develop this kind of curriculum stuff of just, it literally applies to everyone. Totally. Yeah, we're teaching it to kids who are 8 to 12, but it applies to the teenage groups that we work with. It applies to our coaches. It applies to our staff. Um, I use it with my own kids like, all the time. And just watching their progression of me understanding this stuff a little bit better has been pretty amazing too. So yeah, I think it's, it's kind of that lost piece that we just don't think about. And you talk to people who like coached, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. It's like, oh yeah, like remember when we used to talk about these things more, you know, just the leadership and those general topics of just, you know, the things that we cliche expect from sport and how now it's just so technical, tactical, technical, tactical, technical, tactical. Like we've just, we're not forgot. We've just changed our value system, which is also tied in, you know, conventional media and social media and um, how we elevate, all these athletes to be certain positions without really talking about like who are they <laughs> like what do they do and mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. the parents too I mean you probably get less of less of that where they're like yeah. really pushing their kids to play as opposed to the kids are just wanting to play right there's a very difference in that where everybody's you know um yeah it's like uh, the parents question is like such a hard answer because um, the reason why we do what we do is because often there isn't a lot of parental support mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Um, I don't want that to sound negative. You know, they're the busy, they're busy working, working, they're doing yeah. the best they can. They need to do yeah. to get by. And yeah. so um, we're kind of filling that little gap for the time to make sure that they can do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. So there's not a huge amount of attendance. Sometimes there is like when we have kind of a year end little tournament or year end wrap up, then we get a lot of people and, um, you know, there'll, there'll be the odd time where the, <laughs> everything escalates higher and higher and higher because everyone's getting excited. But for the most part, and we do lots of surveys on all this stuff, people are just really appreciative that their kid is, has a chance to play and has a chance to be on the team and be part of a community and they, they kind of get what we're doing. And, um, you know, again, like what we're doing is we're not trying to make elite kids in any stretch of the imagination. That's not our space. So that that also kind of de-escalates things a little bit too. Like we're not here for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's mm-hmm. not what we're doing mm-hmm. here. We're using this as a cha- a chance to be in a safe place where you belong, to learn some physical literacy skills, learn some serious social, emotional, mental health, and hopefully like put a smile on your face and that you want to come back. And now there's a way for you to come back from grade three all the way to grade 12 and beyond. And hopefully mm-hmm. in the next couple of years, we'll push down to, to grade one. So as soon as you're in kind of the education system, there's a way for you to stay involved as you want. And, you know, our board is pretty adamant too, that if kids go through that process, like there should be a scholarship waiting for them at the end of the thing too, right? Like let's mm-hmm. really own what we say we believe. So, yeah. That's amazing. 
you know, you, you talk about the, the little skills that, that um, you're teaching the kids. And it's almost like my son started this hockey camp um, this week. And he said the first day, he's like, I have three, I have three new friends. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, they just come up and said, hi, what's your name? And so it's something like seems so super simple to teach kids, but that sense of you know, belonging that you talk about it comes from just those simple little things. Right. And that, yes. that is yeah. my son. I love my son, but he's really not a great hockey player. <laughs> Seven <laughs> years old. And I know why he's there. Do you know what I mean? And so yeah. that, that piece of it made, made like the whole camp worth it for me because it was so, he was so happy yeah. to, to have these, fr- like he made friends. That's all he wanted to do at that camp. So that's why kids do stuff, right? They do totally. stuff that their friends do. And totally. They want to be with their friends. Yeah, and I, like, I think why are we designing things to? <laughs> still don't understand about designing so much sport and dance and music and all these other things for for the zero point one percent of kid who might do something with it. Yeah. From like a professional perspective, versus the ninety nine percent who will do something from the lessons you teach them totally. while they play. Yeah. But maybe let's think about that and then the 0.01% yeah let's send them somewhere else so they can be really good at the thing but everybody else let's like let's work on all the things we we can be good at together and then you know that simple point there of kids that those brave kids who went and introduced themselves to your son like that's a massive Mm -hmm. skill and a lot of people don't have it or really shy and really scared to do it right so yeah yeah, totally. Massive, massive skill that you can get through being on a team or a band or dance group. So they're in the last little bit here, Alfonso Davies, like he's Edmonton born. He's like this big, he's talking about the 0.111% that you're talking yeah, about, yeah. right? Um, I actually just heard, saw something on Facebook about him this morning. So I know you're talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great to it will probably introduce a lot more kids to soccer and a lot more Canadian kids and that kind of thing. But I, I think that your program and, and the, you know, the template that the foundation you're building it on will give those kids so much because of somebody like Alfonso Davies, who just like opens up their mind to the potential of, yeah, maybe I am going to go try that soccer program or that, you know what I'm saying? Mm. How do you think it's going to impact, you know, the, what you're seeing in your programs or, or, yeah, I mean, I, our role in that story is like, again, 0.1% of it, like all the credit is to him and his family and his hard work and all these other great mentors that <clears throat> um, have been in his life. And we just got the experience of him playing with us for a very short season, right? And I said, That's amazing. wow, this kid is crazy good. That's, That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we didn't do anything in terms of his development, and I want to make sure that's very clear. But what he can add to our community and to communities like ours across the country and, frankly, around the world is, is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. I always speak to whenever I, I see him, and I don't know him personally, but I see his social media presence and his interviews and everything. And that's the stuff I talk to about with kids is that yeah, you can do this thing on the field, but like, look at his character, right? Mm-hmm. He just loves life and enjoys life and has this fun smile on. And whenever you to- talk to the 
his coaches who did work with us at free footy and he had that brief influence with them of just, you know, that the shine that he puts on everybody that he comes in contact with. Um, that's the thing that we celebrate and get to hopefully use is his ability to struggle and get through adversity and have a huge smile on your face still and what you can do as a leader and, and just what his story represents of Canada welcoming his family um, as refugees and, you know, him having a gift and people being able to see it immediately and, you know, push him in the right direction and let his gift shine and let him chase his dream. And so there's a lot to that. And I think, I hope the, <clears throat> I hope it puts a real spotlight on him and his story, but also some of the challenges that still exist of, you know, if, you, if you're not an A-plus athlete and you're a B athlete, but maybe with a bit of work, you could be an A-plus athlete, like, or A-plus at anything you want to chase. The systems in place to do that is, are really tough. It's not clear. Mm-hmm. It's like a murky mess. You know, you, you get your registration fees paid for and you get a bag of gear, but how do you get to the thing? Like, mm-hmm. And how do you get to mm-hmm. the thing? And like I said, if you have five brothers and sisters to look after at home, and you're not eating regular meals and like it just on and on and on. So yeah, it's kind of one of those, those challenging things of it's amazing. It's exciting. It's great to see great ambassador, great role model, amazing character. I just hope the lens is shifted appropriately to be okay. This guy succeeded because he's unreal. But what about the person who's like, maybe not quite as good. Like what's, how do they, how do they get there? And I think that's where, we need to put a lot of focus. It's mm-hmm. like, and I've always said like, the A plus athlete will always make it through or the A plus at anything will always kind of make it through. But the B, like where do they go? Or the B that could, or even worse, the B that could, could be the A plus if you just right. really gave them the right support and directed them in the right way and dealt with all the, you know, social challenges and home life challenges and everything. Um, like, how is that path clear? And it's, it's not. It's but, well, I think it comes down to like the A, the A plus, you know, the athletes and, or even just being able to like step away from the shine and let a B or C player shine, you know, somebody yeah. who's really good at the sport, you know, being a strong enough leader to, you know, kick the ball over to somebody who may not, you know, score for them that time. So I think that's probably a lot of what you guys are teaching too, is that, you know, just because you might be the best athlete doesn't mean you need to take away the shine from all of the kids on the field and let them, you know, grow and evolve and, and yep. um, is, is really important too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You told a, a story when you presented to us, actually, I think it was at the Little Brick Cafe about how you were in a principal's office or a teacher's office and you were having this conversation about wanting to make a difference and how that would kind of work. And then he directed you. Can you tell, share that story with our listeners? Yeah. Um, it's kind of when I first, the whole thing all started, I was going to do a story for CBC, which is my job at the time about a junk food ban that was coming in place in all public schools. And so I wanted to do a story, you know, about that. And I was trying to find a way to kind of role model it and show how it's working somewhere else. And it turned out it was already in place at um, one school. 
And so I went there to tell the story about like how they do it. And it was the highest need school, coded the highest need school in the city at the time. So I went to talk to the principal and it was really about how they couldn't have unhealthy food in their school because, you know, kids were barely eating a meal a day. So you had to ensure that whatever you gave them at the school was very healthy and meeting all the nutritional guidelines and, you know, checking all the boxes and making sure that we're setting up kids for success, especially when they, yeah, they don't have access to maybe good food at home or elsewhere. And then the microphone turned off and we were having a good conversation about, I was just, I knew to Edmonton and wanted to help and told her a little bit about my athletic background. And I'd been calling around different clubs and associations and stuff and saying what I wanted to do and kind of not really getting anywhere about coaching. And she said, well, look out the window. So I looked out the window and there was kids from all around the world playing like barefoot football, barefoot soccer, and just had that raw athleticism that we don't see generally anymore, like, or anywhere. And you just don't see kids playing like that often. And the classic example is like when you're running, your hips are hanging low and your heels hitting your butt on every stride. And, you know, every kid's like that. And that's just like a genetically gifted thing that you have to really train into people to be able to run properly, which is surprising. Anyway, every kid's doing that. Ball skills are amazing. I was like, wow, teacher, who are principal? Who are these kids? She said, that's your team. And so it kind of unfolded from there. Um, I turned into the team who ended up coaching a day a week and then two days a week and then three days a week and then, you know, getting them to leagues and playing and then becoming the kind of the phone call for the principal when two of the kids were getting in trouble and going to be suspended or expelled and they would call me from work and I would go down and negotiate and <laughs> deal with some of these challenges that were going on and... <laughs> Um, yeah, that whole turned into a kind of crazy life story of learning, you know, 20 kids lives and seeing a little bit through their eyes of all the different experiences and challenges that we're going through from, you know, living in foster care and living in group homes and, um, being in charge of the family of six kids when you're 13 and, um, having cousins and gangs and waking up with terrible things in your home and um, kids sleeping in the river valley and getting arrested and you know you name it like it's kind of a I still don't think I've dealt with all the trauma from that experience personally I'm just like taking in all these different stories and um, just yeah I mean that's minor compared to what a social worker goes through or a teacher or a psychologist but someone who was kind of trained on how to deal with that it's yeah it's it still haunts me in a lot of ways of some of the stories that I've heard so and that's what I guess fueled a lot of this was like wow like I I'm a very lucky individual and how do we how do we flip it how do we flip this access question and I, I think we're getting close I think we are getting close to flipping it and just the <clears throat> coaching staff that we've brought on board and the youth workers that we're bringing on board this year, because we've had to change our model substantially given COVID. The caliber of people is amazing, just amazing. Some of the mentors and role models that the kids are going to meet. And this is just going to, yeah, literally flip it. Hmm. You must be so proud of what you've accomplished in the amount of years, you know, starting off or like I said, just an interview to, 
offering all of these different sports and being a mentor and uh, you know a guide for so many of these kids and and then again seeing them go from you know where they were to where they are now and being able to be a part of that is oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's hard. I think someone said to me the other day like you're your own worst critic, and I like. I think I really am. Yeah, uh, is a bit of a challenge too. Like I'm just kind of never quite satisfied with where things are at, which is not great. And I'm proud. It's just it's been so bumpy and been really hard and getting pulled in so many different directions. Sometimes you just like look back and you're like, did I did I do anything? Is, is it really making a difference? Like I don't know. I think anyone in these kind of roles thinks about that stuff, or if they're not thinking about that stuff, then don't really want know why you're still in it but um yeah I think that you probably folk you there's a lot of successes that you but there's probably a couple you know ones that go the opposite way that you are probably feeling more responsible for you know so it's hard for you to to um celebrate in all of the the difference that you've you've made and the kids like you know that I don't know how many go through your program but the ones that do make a difference and how much of an impact they're going to make in their community so I think it's really important to focus on on that and not yeah. so much on the ones that maybe get lost. Um, you know, at least you gave them an opportunity to feel um, cared for and seen and all of those those things, you know. So there's certainly always going to be a couple that are going to hold you, that you're going to hang on to that are going to maybe feel a little bit more like failures, but they're they're not, you know. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I completely agree. I think part of the challenge is honestly, as, as the thing goes in different directions, it's like advocacy is really hard. It's very hard of, you know, knowing when to push someone and not push and playing the game and it's tough. You know, mm-hmm. people don't uh, sometimes really know what I'm doing, I think is also the challenge. Like no one's really like grasp the concept of where the thing's going and what the value is of it sometimes too. If, I think they might do on the value, but like, yeah, it's just really hard to, I'm not articulating this well, but it's hard to know when to push and when not to push. Mm-hmm. And so that's been a pretty steep learning curve for me too. It's like, I think I've pushed hard sometimes too hard <laughs> and kind of really gone with the hammer. And then I've kind of backed off and then I realized, oh, like that, no, like this deserves the hammer. Like, my job is advocating for these kids and these families. And, you know, that, I think that that's one of the toughest lessons of being in this space is like that skating, skating between mm-hmm. these different spaces and not making too many enemies, but making the enemies at the right time, and, you know, not making friends in the wrong place. You know, it's, it's just so complex. There's so many different levers to pull. That's well, and as it's, thing. as it's scaling to be so much bigger, they've got so many, you know, you're, you need more advocates. <laughs> and so getting people that are on the same page yeah. as you. Yeah. And also since we're just not like, we're just don't, not just doing sport, right? Right. And yeah. Service. And, and being blurred in the middle makes it very complex. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, we've had, food, right? Like even more complex, like taking on the politics of food. Oof, my God. Thought sports was bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, we spoke to a gentleman before you that was about providing um, meals for kids in school, and yeah. so you know that's a whole nother thing. And then you think about you know bringing COVID into it and, and the extra just issues that is brought yeah. that is yeah. brought up in homes and in sports and how you're going to do this and how you're going to advocate for you know kids and 
yeah, I can't imagine um, all of the things that are on your plate in, in <laughs> one day and the many, you know, the many kids that you feel responsible for. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big, big job. Big it's job. Big, it's a big weight. That's for sure. Yeah. Have you had any students go like through the program? I know obviously it's still evolving, but like mm-hmm. through the whatever it was to, to date, have you haven't yeah. had? Yeah. 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 Um, like the refing and the coaching part is so new. So that's new, but we have, you know, one of our staff members um, played in the program and now is running our food program and one of our best basketball coaches is going to be one of the leads on basketball. Yeah, like we we are starting to see that. We have a young man working for us this summer who's also helping with the food program and building hampers and getting all our equipment ready. And he's going to be one of our youth workers going forward who he started just last year as a, as a junior coach in high school. And, you know, like the, the trajectory is like it's starting to carve its way. Nice. Um, but the ref program and the coaching program are so new that right. you don't quite have that part carved. And that really came from doing a sort of deep dive of what we were doing with this program and about two years ago and really hearing the feedback, which was our program used to end at grade six. And then I was like, okay, good luck. I'm right. Like you're into junior high and high school. There's already programs in place there. There's already athletics in place. We were like, oh, I don't want to mirror that. And we couldn't think of how to do it. And now it's we're we've turned it a bit. So it's not so much as it is about the playing and it is about the being an athlete still but it's also, it's more about those leadership positions. And um, once kids make it through from grade six to grade seven, eight, nine to 10, 11, 12, like it's going to take a generation again, right? Right. For us to really see that pipeline of leadership potential form. And it's, it's that trick of slowly evolving it and making it better and better and better and keeping your resolve that's worth it. Um, my resolve is there hundred percent. I totally see the value of what we're doing of, okay, this is a leadership pathway. And then, you know, 10 years from now, you start seeing all these kids emerge as leaders in their communities. Like that's huge, huge, but it's going to, yeah, takes a, it's going to take a generation to be committed to it. Mm-hmm. So what is an, um, an average day look like for you with all of this? <laughs> like, uh the the play and the, like how how many teams do you coach like what does that look like for you um so my end now is more <clears throat> everything sort of behind the scenes frankly yeah. um and we're getting set to relaunch all the play stuff in october october 5th is our goal so okay. we're sort of trying to build all the capacity and pieces in place to do that and um you know, we were used to rely so heavily on the schools for their support of this program. Teachers and school staff and principals would volunteer their time to get kids on buses and bring them to the venue and help with coaching and all that stuff. And we can't do that anymore. Or not for the next while and nor is it responsible to because I just don't want to overburden those schools anymore by saying, hey, can you help us with this free footy thing or free play thing? Um, Like I just, you know, no, like they, Teachers need to focus and schools need to focus on school. And then after they're done school, like they need to take care of their own families. So we're really evolving the program to not be so reliant on that support. 
And then in the future, hopefully they can come back. So how the model is shifting slightly is in the past, the teachers and school staff would get kids on the buses and bring them to the venue and we'd coach and then the bus would take them back to the school. We are hiring a crop of youth workers who will do that. So the youth workers will um, screen all the kids, get masks on them, sanitize hands, get them on the bus, get them to the venue. When they get to the venue, coaches do their coaching thing. The youth workers get them back on the bus and bring them back to the school. So that, that's a massive undertaking, like mm. massive. And you also, again, like it's hard to rely on, on volunteers in that piece because it's so, it's such an important integral job. Like we can't make mistakes there. So we're hiring a group of 10 youth workers who work part-time after school to take over that role. And then we've changed our format where it used to be like, everyone would play soccer at once and everyone would play basketball at once and everyone would play football at once. I've changed it so actually all four sports run at the same time now <clears throat> or will so you picture like a cohort playing basketball a cohort playing football a cohort playing soccer a cohort playing hockey and what that allows you to do is have a coaching group core that is just focused on hockey soccer basketball football etc and um go for the entire year Whereas before we would have coaches who would like have to be able to coach soccer, hockey, basketball, football <laughs> in these different eight week cycles. And there's a few people out there who can do everything, but it's actually pretty tough. Mm-hmm. And this allows us to really like kind of lock down the format of, okay, like this is eight weeks and these kids are going to go through for eight weeks and then a new group of kids are going to go through for eight weeks and a new group. So you just kind of keep templating and rolling it forward. So that's like a lot of our time right now. And like all the logistics of doing that is um, mind boggling. Sure. And then throw in the other um, questions of the big question at the moment is insurance. And, you know, how do we, how do small organizations like ours protect ourselves, uh, protect our board? And still provide a community service because there is no insurance for COVID. It doesn't exist. Um, so that's a whole other level of conversation that probably people haven't got into in this space for you yet, but maybe they have, but it, it's, it's the, that is a huge, huge challenge. Um, when you're putting yourself out there, you know, you're doing good, but you're putting yourself out there for, um, you know, to be criticized, right, which is really, really hard. And I think that the job that you're doing now, which is all the behind the scenes stuff, which is much less glamorous than yeah. being able to go out there and coach kids and be a part of the hugs and the high fives and like all of those things, you know. Yeah. So like you've you've taken a step back of the, the fun part of the job to now take on the stuff that is not near as much fun and a lot less um thankless so you know we recognize what you're doing so i hope that 100 <laughs> percent. yeah yeah because yeah, it, it is it's you know you've grown to a point where now you have to give the the fun stuff to somebody else and take on the less glamorous stuff which is really hard you know every day yeah so i was actually just saying yesterday two days ago i was just saying and I wonder if I took my career and like my, my passion differently, like where I would be coaching right now. If I could, like, <laughs> and just seeing the success of some of the kids that I coached, you know, 10 years ago and where they've landed in the world. It's just like, oh, if I really kept doing this, maybe. Anyway, <laughs> but like, yeah, but you think about how many selfish, people. Right? It's so selfish of like, well, that would have been good for me, but. 
well, it's because what you're doing now, like I said, it's the the stuff that nobody recognizes as is so much work and long hours and coordination and you know all of those things. But and a ton of responsibility, right? You're making decisions for the future, right? Which yeah, you can't see the future right now if you're in the program or a parent or whatever it is. So it's a lot. And, and yeah. the reality is like, well, as much as I said that on my reflection of the couple of days ago, like we don't need more people that look like me in those forward facing leadership roles. Like you just don't, we need people from the diverse communities that we serve in those roles. And so whatever we can do to build that capacity and I can lend my privilege for as long as it's needed to do that, then that's what I should be doing. And then hopefully, you know, there's great people who take my job. Like that's, that's well, you're that star player that's taking a step back and letting somebody else shine, you know? And I think that's, that's really what it comes down to is you're taking the less glamorous thing so that somebody else can stand up and show their, um, what they're good at in their strengths. And I think that's a really important, um, you know, thing to do and really honorable. And, you know, you said that you're being, you're, you're selfish thought of where would you be if you, if you were coaching, but <laughs> but you are doing the very unselfish thing and letting other people take the, the roles that are more, uh, more fun <laughs> for a lack of a better word. More yeah. Generous. Yeah. I, I think so. the, the, um, you know, watching all of these charities pivot and kind of figure out what their, their new strategy is going to be or their mm -hmm. new way of doing things is, mm -hmm. I mean, right now it, sucks and it's shitty and it's you know but I think in five years ten years some of these charities are going to be like man that was probably one of the best things that could have ever happened because you are forced to evolve right you're forced to no, figure out what you need to do and like you said pre-covid you were like Montreal Toronto like uh, you know like wasn't even yeah. on the map for you and now it's like you know what if we can get this to more kids that's, that would just be incredible. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I yeah, it's just kicked us out the door faster. Like yeah. Mm -hmm. Kicked us yeah. out the door like two years faster than we wanted to be. And we're trying to pull it off in two months, but I a hundred percent agree. I just, I think the, the challenge is more for organizations who don't have quite the same a position as maybe that we do and the blessing that we do in terms of super strong board, really strong community support. Um, I to praise myself a tiny bit like leadership that's, you know, can adapt and juggle and figure things out. Like mm -hmm. that's not the case for everybody. And so mm -hmm. we're going to lose a lot of really valuable community players because it's not possible for everybody to just like flip on a dime and adapt. Um, and I, again, I think that is tied into a whole bunch of privilege too. Um, you know, being able to access these different levels of, of power, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, so it's good. It's good. And it's good in a lot of ways, but I, it's tough in many other ways. And I, I just hope that as people, um, pivot and change and evolve their thinking about how do we incorporate some of the other groups that are getting left behind in this space. Mm -hmm. 
and I'm guilty of it too. Like I'm like so focused on like what we're doing. How am I going to keep this thing moving? I have people that I employ that I'm worried about daily. Like, and honestly, thank goodness for the government and creating some wage subsidies. Like, whew, that's that's holding a lot of people over. Mm-hmm. So, um, as much as that might be contentious for some people to hear, for small organizations to have a wage subsidy is when donations go like that and mm-hmm. grants are all tricky, <laughs> really tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's been really helpful. So yeah, uh, long answer, but awesome of forcing us to do things we needed to do, but cognizant of, again, sitting in a position where I, I can do it. And I'm mm-hmm. in a safe space where I can, I can do it versus some other people at very grassroots where we would have started you know 10 years ago i think we would be dead okay. no way we'd be completely dead and you just think about all the other groups that are trying to get things going like you know again like what happens to all of them so mm-hmm. i think the overwhelm sorry last piece of that how that changes the system of power the organizations that emerge from this and there's some really big ones that hold a lot of the power already. And I don't think we're even close to that. We're like, <laughs> we're way down here. But those big ones that can pivot and shift their operations and have all this, they're just going to gobble everything up, which I also think is very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that centralization? Yes, there's need for centralization of services in some regards, but, you know, where's the room for the little niche gaps to get filled if it's just gobbled up by a few bigger groups well, things get missed and people get missed if that's the case yeah, yeah. i think the overwhelm that so many of these um you know i've got some friends that are social workers and too i just know that the overwhelm that, that everybody is feeling right now you know is is real so it's so important to try and um you know stick with community and 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 give back where you can but also make sure that you're taking care of yourself so that you can be better for you know be able to perform for everybody else too right because i think that's where we all, when, you, when you're in your position and you're just trying to figure out how this is all going to work, making sure that you're taking care of yourself and getting enough rest and all of those things so that yeah, you, can, you know, keep doing, keep doing what you're doing. Because I think that a lot of people in your position right now are feeling the overwhelm just because they're doing so much of one person, doing more than one person's job, right? Oh, yeah. doing a job of 10 people right now because they just mm-hmm. don't have the resources. Yeah. And that's, I think, the hardest thing right now is is making sure that, um, you know, trying to get those people that are able to volunteer to volunteer their time so that there's a little bit off of the person that's putting it all together. Yeah. The capacity of the people who are in these serving spaces is, there's a lot of pressure on on everybody. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so how, how can we give back? How can, how can Edmonton <laughs> give back and what can we do right now to help support you and support these, these kids and these future leaders? Yeah. I mean, I, I, Thank you for that. I think, honestly, at the moment, a lot of organizations need some financial support, frankly, of just chipping in small donations where it's possible um, and allowing them to use those funds a bit more freely than you might have previously thought in terms of a donation to know that you're trusting an organization to pivot where appropriate and they might not actually know where they're pivoting to at the moment. So that, that's a bit of a change in donor mentality, I think, of um, 
no, like these are organizations I appreciate and support. Like maybe they don't have this like direct targeted campaign for this thing at the moment, but I know that they need the funds to be able to switch what they're doing or bolster their operations or give some staff some additional training or support or whatever the case may be. So financial is a, I think is a really big piece at the moment, which is really hard for everybody, but um, you know, it's shocking how far $10 can go for a very small organization of just what power you can leverage that into. Mm-hmm. So that's one. And then I think um, really just being cognizant of how much is pivoting and how much is changing and um, reaching out to people around you in that space, um, reaching out to different organizations and just asking what they need and what what you can help with. And I, I think a lot of the time they won't know is part of the challenge. Like you won't know what exactly it is that you need right which is also really hard when you're like just on the hamster wheel and just chasing and chasing and chasing and then you're on another one and then you're on another one it's honestly hard to say like this thing like this is the thing this is the magical this is the thing that's gonna save everybody but um yeah being i guess being a little reaching out and saying hey i'm here to support what do you need it's a couple bucks done if you need something else let me know like i'm there um, I guess that's probably the, the best way. And at some point there's going to be probably a bit more of an advocacy, advocacy call for some things in terms of making sure that, uh, at risk youth, marginalized youth, everybody, frankly, in general is, is taken care of. And <clears throat> I think that's not too far away, but, um, yeah, I, I guess that's a, again, a long answer is slip in some cash if you can reach out for support and be patient with the organization when they don't maybe exactly know what they need mm-hmm. in terms of support. And some will, of course, lots will be like, I need this thing. Cool. But a lot of the smaller organizations might be just trying to survive. Well, I think we've talked about that before is like where you can sometimes donate money, but they actually need somebody to go out and go buy the things with the money. Right. It's yeah. not always just uh, yeah. So it's, some like there's a lot of places where they're like okay we have the re- now we've got the money but we don't have the people to go and make sure that it goes into the right places yeah so yeah there's a lot of a lot of moving parts right now for sure there's and i a think lot of moving parts and i think like another area you know of people who are listening who have a skill set is like there's a lot of good time now for people to what we're trying to do is just formalize more of our processes get policies better in place um really look at better certifications, better training for staff, like how to really like strengthen the organization. And that's another really good one to just keep out there is, is like, how do we, how do we use maybe a downtime or a pause time for an organization to, to boost them up, to strengthen them, to give them those capacity Mm -hmm. pieces. Cause it is really hard um, and especially people with those grant writing skills, like that can be very helpful for lots of organizations too. It's hard, like it's a very hard space to navigate. Um, so yeah, there, there's a definitely a lot of spaces that people can help with sort of capacity building. I hope you recognize what you told us, which is if this would have happened 10 years ago, you don't know if you would have made it through. So that speaks to what you've done in that time and how um, how you've led and, and your successes and the things that hopefully are still motivating you to keep moving forward and doing what you do, which is 
supporting the youth that needs it so much. Yeah. So I'm I'm still in it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I'm but committed to this thing and. No, I just mean like the, yeah. the recognition where you said, yeah, you're in the weeds and it's hard and it's this. Yeah. I hope that you just take like, even if it's for like a second or like yeah. a couple minutes, just say, you know what, like 10 years ago, we wouldn't have been able to do this today. We can do this, you know? And so yes. mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. the point is, I hope that, you know, you recognize that you're doing amazing things and like Edmonton needs you guys. And yeah. Yeah. I hope so. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, you know, You're doing it. Get the, to celebrate the success of all our awesome staff and volunteers and people who support us, frankly, like I just get the, the glory often, but it's not usually me. Um, it's 99% someone else who's done it. So yeah. we, um, at the end of our podcast, we always ask the guests how yeah. they want to be remembered. So we're, our group is the legacy group. And so this comes from, you know, all of our experiences and it's about that intentional way of living that you're teaching your youth about is we're trying to also live that with our actions and where we put our money and where we put our efforts and who we speak with, who we spend our time with. And so, you know, if you were to kind of leave something with the kids or your kids or your family, you know, and you look back and you say, you know, this is how I want to be, remembered um what what would that look like that's a tough one it's a a (laughs) question yeah it's a a very loaded question yeah (laughs) that's a deep one i don't know i guess i just really hope that people would see that you know i i believe i believed in everyone and i put my actions where my words were Mm -hmm. i lived it and that i believed in access and equity and that change is possible if you work hard enough and stay true to your values. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a very tough question. Now you're going to make me think about it all day. It's all good. <laughs> Those are all really good answers. I don't know. I, don't know. I, true. I think access is, a, is like, that was kind of a key word that stuck out in my mind is when you said that access, like that, Everybody should have access to this, you know, access to a mentor, access to sport, access to play, yeah. access, you know, I think that that's something that is, is very much what you offer kids yeah. and families. No, I think, yeah, that's a, that's good to back up for me. Thank you. <laughs> I think <laughs> access is the, is a very key word of, you know, everybody had the chance to, to, yeah, be part of a community and belong and find a great mentor and, I always feel supported. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would, I think that would be a pretty noble thing to be remembered for if there was. But I mean, at the end of the day, like, I hope my kids, my kids see me in a positive light and I haven't jeopardized too much of their life by <laughs> sacrificing for uh, many other people and that my family would see the same. And I mean, that that's a pretty important part of it too is and an important part of anybody's conversations as these things go forward is how much do you sacrifice of your own life to support other people's? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's like a question I hadn't really put in my mind until the last little while of like, oh, okay, like, you know, you don't want to be the guy that everyone like celebrates as, oh, look at this thing they did and your family hates you. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and what, then what's the point, you know? So 
that balance too. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that everybody that is busy doing things needs to take a, a moment and remember that too, right? We put ourselves out there for sometimes so many other people, but we forget about the people that we love the most are the ones that get yeah. the least, the least of us, right? And that's, I think we're all you know, somewhat running something here. I'm a business owner. Sherry's got yeah. her business. And, and I get that conversation often from my partner, like, Hey, you know, we haven't had dinner together for the last like 10 days. Yeah. <laughs> What's your yeah. week look like this week? You know? So <laughs> I think it's a reminder to everybody to kind of step back and also participate in our own lives too. Yeah. To remember sure. who you're doing it for, right? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. yeah. yeah. Well, we, Certainly appreciate taking this time, Tim, to speak mm -hmm. with us because we know you got a lot of a lot. <laughs> irons in the fire going on, but we see you and we hear you and, and we love what you're doing. So keep going. Yeah. 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 Your support. And it was nice just to have the thing, a chance to pause for a minute and think about some of the stuff, frankly. Sometimes you just don't have the time to think about it. So very good. Good. We appreciate it. If you were inspired by our show, please take a moment to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen and share with friends. You can always find show notes at loveyegshow.ca. Keep listening.